Hello, Batman fans and superhero ethics fans. This is Matthew, and I'm here with Superhero Ethics, and we are discussing Batman by Joel Schumacher. Do I seem a little overexcited? Do I seem a little over the top? Well, that's kind of fitting for what we're going to be discussing. And we've got the whole Bat team back. Paul Hoppy, Ashley Coffin, myself, Matthew Fox. All of us are here, and we're going to be discussing Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, and a little bit of a uh, dive into The Dark Knight, because I actually didn't have a chance to talk about it, and that's kind of thematically similar to the Joel Schumacher movies, right? Wrong. But anyway, we're going to talk about it. It's going to be a lot of fun. All that after commercial break that we have no control of, but you might be able to pay with with a bat card. Never leave the cave without it. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. I've had a moment to catch my breath. Uh, joined by Paul and Ashley. Um, how are you folks doing? I haven't gotten to speak to you in a little while. I've been on vacation. Yeah, how was Mexico? I don't think I went to Mexico. I went to a resort that happens to lease space from Mexico. It was a wonderful time. <laughs> all inclusive. All our meals paid for. But at the end of it, Mary and I were saying, like, this was a great experience. We loved going. We didn't actually go to the country we went to in the slightest, Aww. you know. Um, so we had a great time, though. Our next vacation is going to be a little bit more like actually go and see things and, and get more money to the local economy and all that kind of yeah. thing. But, yeah, it was it was definitely a great time. Very relaxing. Uh, and I'm just glad to be back. Nice. So we're talking today primarily about the Joel Schumacher movies, which are an interesting take on Batman. I think um, probably I think most of us are going to be pretty solidly in the not my Batman camp. <laughs> but but. Camp is a good word for it, because one thing that is that changed significantly between at least the last time I saw them in this was when Joel Schumacher, the director of both of them, passed away. There's a lot of discussion about his sort of trying to bring a campiness aspect, going back to the Batman 66, as well as playing up a lot of the homoerotic aspects. And I have to say, watching the movies again through that lens changed them a lot for me and made them... I, I'm not going to call Batman forever enjoyable, but Batman and Robin, I think I've come to enjoy. Uh, and we're going to get into all that. But first, let's start with something a little bit thematically different. Uh, the Dark Knight. Um, just because of scheduling stuff and my own screw-up, uh, we did The Dark Knight without you, Ashley. And I know it's your favorite of the Batman movies. I think mm -hmm. many people would say the same. Um, talk to us a little bit about The Dark Knight, like what you love about that movie, and, and especially what, what for you that movie has to say about like who Batman is. I feel like... It's so important to have a good, well-thought-out villain. And though that movie does have two, it kind of doesn't feel overstuffed like most movies, like these movies mm -hmm. and a lot of the other Batmans. I feel like it's very much like Batman Returns, where you have two solid uh, villains. Um, what happens at the end with Harvey Dent? Whatever. Like, I don't love that. But the Joker aspect of it, what he's trying to accomplish, his whole point of just being chaos is just really fun. And then I feel like we get to see Batman be like very Batman. You know, he's being the detective. Mm -hmm. He's got all the toys. He's doing the things. He's, you know, like, I'm vengeance overseas and everything. I don't know. I just really liked what Christian Bale did with the Bruce Wayne and with um, Batman in this. And I think it's so important to have those two. You have to get both to, to you know, stick the landing. And I just really feel like this movie did it. Right. Yeah, I think a, a great Batman story really needs a great Batman and a great villain. And sometimes having extra villains like feels like too much. In that, I, I think the Two Face thing was like more of a like a twist, right? Like yeah. a bonus yeah. villain at the end. Um, but I, I would say that the mob was basically the other villain through most of the movie. Yeah, true. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of think what the movie does is it sort of says like, okay, here are these two opposing kind of forces of law versus, you know, crime. And so you've got the mob on one side and the police on the other. And Gordon's kind of representative of the police and um, the mob types we meet are kind of representative of them. And then it's, you know, the Joker is the straight up villain. Mm -hmm. But part of his point is like, you know, these iron lines you seem to think between law and criminality, between order and chaos are not that they're, they're a lot murkier than you seem to think. And someone can switch. And so, yeah, Harvey Dent to me isn't it isn't that like one more villain who has to be dealt with. He's the person who kind of demonstrates what you know, he, he's he's the proof that Joker is somewhat right because he does fall in the way yeah. he does. And mm -hmm. I think it's a great way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think they like oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I think they kind of were trying to do a little bit of the killing joke, like one bad day can turn someone, you know, this mm -hmm. way or that way. And mm -hmm. they kind of gave him like a, a split on it, you know, where like the fairy people don't blow each other up, but Harvey Dent does become Two-Face. Yeah, like, right. I don't know. I, I see the whole movie as having a bit of the like, um, you know, D&D &D alignment four corner opposition where, <laughs> you know, Dent and Gordon are supposed to be like lawful good and the Joker's like chaotic evil and like the mob is very much lawful evil. Um, and then Batman's like chaotic good. And somehow Harvey Dent actually ends up kind of being like true neutral. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like he's like, <laughs> well, we'll just let we'll let fate decide. <laughs> we'll flip a coin. <laughs> well, especially because, yeah, I, I don't think that Harvey Dent proves that any person could right. be one bad day. I think what he proves is that when you look at someone as like the purest ideal of goodness and righteousness, that that person, that that, that whole thing is probably a front to some extent. And Absolutely. that it's often, often pretty brittle, you yeah. know, and that, it, that he can, like, because I think Gordon is probably a lot less likely to fall that far. Yeah. Because he's never risen that high. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That's a good. And just, just Heath Ledger, um, you know, I think it was totally fair that he won an Oscar for that performance. He put so much into it, every little part. Like when you watch a lot of the uh, or his documentary even goes into little things he would do to make the character more believable or like he would have cotton in his mouth the whole time, which is why he's always licking his lips because he thought that would just mm -hmm. make that's what you would do. Your mouth would get dry. That cuts just little things like that make a movie for me because I appreciate the details and then just yeah. throw a Hans Zimmer soundtrack over it, and that absolutely crushes. <laughs> and I, I can't help myself. I love it. <laughs> I think you're right. I think, I think, to me, Heath Ledger's performance is. I, I don't think there's any acting performance in any of the Batman stuff on screen that is better. I think you can say that maybe some yeah. others are as good, especially from maybe the animated, but live action. I think I'd be hard pressed mm -hmm. to say. Um, but also the writing of it's so good because. One thing I think Paul and I, we've talked about this a lot, and actually you've probably been part of some of these conversations. I am frustrated when crazy means the writers can do anything they want, you know, because it's like, oh, this character is goofy. They're off the wall. They don't have to have any internalized logic. They just do whatever they want, whenever they want. Mm. And to me, like Jim Carrey's Riddler in one of the movies we're about to Ugh. talk to is, is very much that. Um, what I really love is, the Joker's internal logic is so comes from a completely different stand, start, starting point than most of us would understand. But if you have some understanding of his internal logic, everything he does makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like everything he does fits the character that he is. And that is so rare for a character that's written to just be kind of like, you know, 
so mentally different from everyone else that I I love it. And I think Heath Ledger's performance really helps sell that. Mm -hmm. I just what the movie, the next movie would have been like if, you know, we could have continued that story. It's just uh, it's sad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it just to me, it's kind of a an unassailable performance like that. But to what you're saying, Matthew, also like the writing is consistent he's he's not crazy in this like just out there wild like full license to the writers like do whatever you want he's like a character he's an actual character who clearly has some issues (laughs) but the performance like really does it it just it feels like real and just like oh yeah that's that's that guy like I I don't see Heath Ledger there you know I see the Joker I see that Joker specifically that's right. a good point. Um, I don't know. Is is that? Would you think that that's like your Joker or your Batman? Actually, yeah, that movie? yeah. I feel like absolutely my Joker, and I right, like, I know people don't agree with it, but I just feel like Christian Bale was the best parts of both Batman and Bruce Wayne. I think he did it perfectly throughout the three movies. Um, that's just my yeah. opinion, but. Uh, you know, I really, really enjoy because I like Christian Bale and I think he's such a good actor. And being able to do the dude like put on like I guess in Batman Begins, the best scene is when he throws everybody out of his house. He's like upstairs oh. getting threatened <laughs> yeah. and being like, oh, my God, this is about to happen. Then he's like, get out, you losers or whatever. But just being able to go. You need that from Batman. I don't, right. When yeah. when Christian Bale is playing Batman, playing Bruce yes. Wayne, basically. <laughs> yeah. He, I mean, he definitely, does it in this definitely. one, too, at the party that he throws for Harvey Dent. That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think he sells both aspects of the character super well. There's one thing that I, like, really wanted to say last time that I didn't realize until after we were done with our merely 90-minute long podcast. <laughs> but, like, the idea that Batman is, like, perhaps primarily motivated by anger and this idea of, like, whether or not he can, like, punch his way through enough you know, criminals in order to like feel better or something actually is I like totally reject that as my Batman, but I do think it's Mm -hmm. a very consistent take throughout the three movies. Like to me, I want a Batman who's motivated by not wanting anyone to go through what he went through and not wanting anybody to be murdered. Like his parents were murdered, Mm -hmm. but Christian Bale really does have this, like this, this menace and this like undercurrent of like seething that like, it just like simmers all the time and then sometimes it, it boils up. Mm-hmm. Um, but he just sells that really well. Yeah, like I, I think my favorite Batmans are the one where I see the struggle mm. in him. You know, where there's the part of him, like the rational part of him is like, I'm never going to punch my way to things being better, but I can make it so that other people can not have to deal with it. But that he is also feeling that anger and that maybe over the course of those stories – where he is on that struggle changes, you know, and then hopefully by the end he 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 changes it somewhat. Um, but yeah, I, I I just think Christian Bale is such a good, it's such a good portrayal, but especially of my my favorite version of Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that whenever a certain movie gets onto an online format, and we can talk about it. Robert Pattinson's portrayal is another one that I that that all of a sudden makes me kind of question a lot of what I thought about some of the earlier Batmans, and so that'll be another way to revisit the mm-hmm. story. But um, looking forward to it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, 
Ashley, for you, um, what? Because this was kind of one of the things that that Paul and I really kind of wrestled with a lot, and I'm kind of curious your thoughts on this. Um, what? One of the things that I think we, we were talking about a lot that is interesting about the Christian Nolan version is <laughs> that he's constantly trying to figure out, can he go back to just being Bruce Wayne? Can he set it all aside? And that a large part of this movie is, you know, can he let Harvey Dent be the great person, have real law and order, and thus no longer need to be Batman? What is that? Is that something that you want to see as, as part of your Batman stories? Does that make sense to you as the Batman character? Does that feel weird to you about this no, movie? No, I I like that. I like Batman being like, I want to get to a point where I don't have to do this anymore, and the city's running right, and the right people are in charge. I mean, who wouldn't want that? He's like, I don't have to, right. you know, I don't have any cartilage left in my knee. I can't keep doing this. Uh, someone's going to figure out who I am. Oh wait, a couple people do, except for Commissioner Gordon. Somehow he couldn't figure it out the entire time. But uh... <laughs> he was—he was too close oh to see things clearly. Bruce yeah, that's Wayne—that's my favorite part of the last one. I think Gary Oldman <laughs> sells the shit out of that. <laughs> Gary Oldman's so so good <laughs> as, else. as Gordon. Nobody else. Um, but also, like, aren't you supposed to be a detective too? <laughs> <laughs> He's a commissioner. Um, right. Right. But no, I, I and I love that. I guess we didn't really you guys didn't talk about the last movie yet, so I don't want to jump ahead. But I like yeah. the way that it ends for him in that aspect. Mm. Spoiler. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think we're OK. Not spoiling. OK, things. <laughs> I think I think, sorry. I think we're OK. It's spoiling. been a couple no, years. The movie's been out. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's been a decade. But for anyone who um, hasn't watched it, tune in next time. Yeah. Yeah, we, we will get to that or eventually. Next, I think we're going to probably need to have an episode that's not about Batman so that we have something in March that's not about Batman. <laughs> we'll Moon Knight. Ipmon 4, oh. maybe. Oh, yeah, Moon Knight. Moon Knight, we're definitely going to have a lot to talk about, I'm sure. That that's not, looks like it's going to be a great show for, for some ethics reviews. All right, well, so let's get from, um, you know, another director who, like Christopher Nolan, wanted to get into the dark, gritty realness of uh, Batman. Mr. Joel Schumacher. <laughs> Movie fashion um, costume designer Joel Schumacher. <laughs> right? Uh, so we're talking here about Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. And they're kind of the second two of the um, kind of the four movie arc that began with Michael Keaton and Tim Burton. And like it, it, they're considered to be like a four movie arc because they all kind of came out fairly in order. There's some loose continuity between <laughs> them, but very, very, very it's loose. It's just Alfred. Um <laughs> I think he's the only actor who appears in all four, right? Maybe the commissioner? That mustache guy? Oh, yeah, the guy playing Jim... I think I read the same Jim Gordon, yeah, in all four, too. So I watched them both Um, back-to-back today, and I don't feel okay. Like, I'm... I feel like I blacked out for four hours. Um, I was just doing stuff around the house and had it... Like, I couldn't... You can't just sit and watch them. You just get distracted. But yeah, a, I don't have. Yeah, this is going to be interesting. This might be the most negative podcast we've ever done. <laughs> not that's not true. Yeah, okay, I, not pause I thought here. you had some fondness. I thought you had some fondness for. The I do have them. fondness for it, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to tear every single mistake that they made apart. <laughs> I mean, what else are we here for? <laughs> there's just like the way that they write women. Let's start. I mean, there's just they wrote women in these. <laughs> they wrote boobs with talking heads and big eyes. Ah. I'm a fucking psychologist. I'm sorry. Ah, I'm a psychologist. Look how smart I am. Batman. I just can't. Sorry, I'm getting out of... Go ahead, ask questions. It's the car, right? <laughs> no, I'm going to think all those are, are, are fair. Uh, and we're going to get into problems with both of these movies, to be sure. 
here's kind of the way I felt watching them watching them again, and and this is somewhat uh, informed by the things I I read and things like that, but but also just watching it again. My understanding is that Schumacher wanted to have a completely different take on these movies. He wanted to go back to the campiness of Batman 66. Mm-hmm. He wanted to kind of play up some of the queer themes and stuff like that in, in, in with Batman and Robin and also just, all, you know, the, the ridiculousness of all of it. And he wanted to be incredibly over the top and fourth wall breaking and, and just having goofy fun with it. It feels to me like the third movie... It's kind of one of those things where the director is only allowed to partially do his vision, and so it just it it it's trying hard to be to make sense with part of it, but a lot of it isn't, and so the whole thing is just a complete and utter mess. So there is a Schumacher it, cut of this. This is not his movie, the one that we're seeing. There's a darker one. It's less less Robin, and it's more about like Batman's ment or Bruce Wayne's mental illness, which would make sense with what's going on with the Doctor Chase Meridian and stuff like that. And uh, it's it's done and it's out there and I really wish that they would release it. Okay, well I, I would want to see that because my point is that it feels like Batman and Robin is where the producers or whatever were just like, okay, Schumacher, do whatever the hell you want, because <laughs> that one is just it's so over the top ridiculous that I wound up liking it when I'm not like when I'm looking at more of like the Lego Movie instead of like an actual Batman movie, um, you know, the fourth wall breaking. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger chewing every piece of, of scenery he can possibly get his hands on with the ridiculous puns throughout. Yeah. It's nice um, to I hear can. that somebody enjoyed it. You know? I, yeah, I yeah. <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't enjoy it. This The only time I've ever enjoyed that since when I was, I don't know, when I was a kid, I watched this movie a million times. I thought it was great. I don't know what happened there. Um, the mm-hmm. soundtrack for both of these movies is bomb, though. They are so good. Like, it... <laughs> You have the Smashing Pumpkins, you too. The, the soundtracks are very mm-hmm. good. But yeah, like... The Kiss from a Rose by yeah, Steel. Yeah, uh, Hold Me, Thrill Me... What is it? Hold Me, Kill Me, Kiss Me, Thrill Me? Hold Me, Thrill Me, <laughs> Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss That's Me, Kill right, Me. you too. By you too. <laughs> but yeah. then it's like you have an arc of Mr. Freeze literally being transported to his cell in a damn fridge. Like, what, what are we doing? <laughs> All right, Paul, what about you? What is your, what is your take on the uh, Schumacher take on Batman? Yeah. So this is kind of when I stopped following Batman a lot. <laughs> For a lot of us, that's the case. Like, I, you know, I saw Batman 89 and I loved it. And I ended up having it on VHS. And Batman Returns, I was more mixed on. But, like, there mm-hmm. was, it still had what I loved from the first movie. And then it had some stuff that I didn't love as much. But then, I like, the casting for Batman Forever came out. And I was like... Really? Like, I mean, like, they have all these great actors, but it, it really, I guess it was just, like, Val Kilmer replacing um, mm-hmm. Michael, Keaton, Michael Keaton. But it just, it felt like such a different, like, it didn't have what I liked about Batman. And mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure I ever saw the movie. Like, I, <laughs> really, I'm just here because I like hanging out with you two. But... <laughs> But, like, I'm thinking back. I'm like, did I see this? I don't know if I saw this. Like, night, yeah. So I know that you had multiple plans to see it that got torpedoed by my love life. Oh, okay. This was 1995. <laughs> we just met in, like, 94, I think. Yeah. So this whole, this was when I, like, Paul and I were knew each other in high school. We didn't go to <laughs> high school together. But, because uh, this is my kind of personal story with it. I didn't see it until much later. Um... I was dating someone who I think could easily be called goth and like 
we're both all connected with people who were, you know, in goth lifestyles or whatever <laughs> hell you want to describe it, uh, myself included, um, sort of. Um, and, like, this movie, I remember when, when the previews of this movie and, like, Kiss by a Rose came out, my 17-year-old self and the person I was dating at the point both thought of this as just it was going to be, like, the most goth romantic thing ever, you know? <laughs> I mean, the song is, I think, qualifies oh, very so much as that. And the video for it, it just looked like it was just going to be amazing. And there were, like, two or three times where this group of people that, that Paul and I were a part of were going to go see it, and then me and the girl I was dating broke up or got back. Like, just, <laughs> it was just chaos for a while. And so I never wound up seeing it. I guess, Paul, maybe you were the same. I wound up going back to see it finally after Batman Begins, and I was like, I want to get my hands on every piece of Batman content I can. Yeah. And oh, whoa, no. Boy, <laughs> coming up, Batman Begins to this. Um, the, the funniest so, thing about the music is, like, it does have all those songs, and then none of those songs are even in the movie, and none of them fit together at all, and nobody cared. Right, right. Yeah. They just write a sound. They're like, let's make a soundtrack yeah. that we can sell, and the, we'll say it has something right. to do with the movie. The, but like, it doesn't do you really guys? Have to. Do you guys remember the band En Vogue? Yeah, they are the street workers who show up around when uh, Chris O'Donnell steals the Batmobile. He's like, "Hey, ladies, the four girls." It's literally That's the band En Vogue. En Vogue. That's yeah. So it's funny. I actually have in my notes. Um, Street gang culture in Gotham is what would happen if Fast and Furious was an anime. Yeah. <laughs> and I know Joel was like, oh, the colors. I want everything to be all those like chromatic colors to represent the 60s comics. Right. Right. It didn't work. <laughs> I, I mean, did it not work or it just it it did what he wanted it to do, but it wasn't what we wanted it to do. I, uh, it's it's hard. Yeah, see, I. I think Batman, and we can talk about each movie individually, but I think in Batman Forever it doesn't work because it is such a like push-pull between is mm -hmm. this still going to be kind of Burton 2.0 right. or is this going to be his thing? I think by the time it gets to Batman and Robin, I do think it works. I think it's, well, I think it's if, if what you want is campy, over-the-top, silly Batman, I think this is a very good version of that. It just might not be what a lot of people <laughs> right, right. want. I think that the sets in Batman Forever are actually pretty amazing because they did build a lot of those sets with the big faces. And like I, the mm -hmm. best cinematic part of both of those movies might be like when the uh, when Two Face comes into the circus. Like that whole circus uh, scene mm. is shot really well. And then in right. Batman and Robin, like. They're pretending to swing on what ropes and they're flying off the ground before they even swing on a rope or like Robin's flying across the set. Everything looks like it's trash bags with glitter spray paint. And it's just like, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> yeah. So, so let's talk about Batman Forever and some of the characters that are uh, 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 introduced in that. And Paul can just. Uh, Paul's, Paul's I, the kid who didn't read the book, but is still going to participate in class. Yeah, I did see that. That was me in high school half the time. But um, <laughs> I, I did see like a lot of scenes from this movie. Mm -hmm. Preparing there for the go. podcast, I you know I watched the pitch meeting. Um, I watched like all the clips that were on YouTube, and I do remember seeing like the thing where like Batman was you know had to choose between you know yeah. Chase and Robin mm -hmm. and you know obviously finds the third way because that's how it's done and like I, I remember the circus scene I think I saw the movie at someone's house but I was like just like in the room kind of and then I tried to rewatch it recently and it got up to like the first scene between like 
Batman and, and Chase. And I was just like, nope. And then I tried <laughs> yep. to go back a few days later and they pulled it from HBO Max. So I was like, eh, uh, I guess it, it wasn't meant Hulu to be. It is on Hulu now. You were right. It is. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Nicole Kitman was very much my, like, middle school high school celebrity crush right. and wow is she underused and she, mm-hmm. just her character is so bad in this. they had uh, cast uh renee russo for that part originally and then decided that she was too old for val kilmer even though there's only like a five year thing but i mean i agree like dr chase meridian's character arc is hey i love batman or wait i love bruce wayne oh wait they're the same person oh geez like that's her character arc <laughs> yeah and like it's too bad because i think the the thought of actually unpacking is batman mentally is bruce wayne mentally ill is this ptsd is this trauma and how is he dealing with it is fascinating mm-hmm. and the like the attraction to that what's the attraction towards that kind of mental illness in like strong buff you know masculine <laughs> figures but it's so badly done. This movie, it's so frustrating. And I do like, I like this one better than Batman and Robin. So I think that's kind of fun that we're going to have the like dynamic. But definitely, definitely. Every story, like nothing adds up. Like Bruce Wayne just suddenly, he's like, oh, uh, I don't want to be Batman anymore because Nicole Kidman likes me. And then he's implying to her over and over and over again that he's Batman. And she's supposedly a brilliant psychologist. And she doesn't really figure it out till very close to the end. Like, the Riddler's mm-hmm. plan is ridiculous to steal brainwaves or whatever, and it fails because, what, you didn't think that Batman was going to bring his Batarang in there and <laughs> mess that big glass thing up? Like, I don't know, everything was just, uh, it was just so, it just misses. It misses yeah. the mark. And they couldn't it even really figure does. out how to end the movie. So they just have them running towards the camera, and they're like, "We're gonna do this in both movies. It's great. That's an en- that's not an ending. <laughs> it's just was was that an ending that they used a lot in the original series, or was it just like a clip that would happen in the I, middle of it? Because I can picture that vividly. Yeah, I think I think it was often the way you ended the episode of Batman sixty six. Mm-hmm. Oh, like it was just the but two yeah, of them so running. Yeah, so it's like a direct reference, basically, right? Right. But and then like in Batman and Robin, Batgirl now joins them right, for right. the running. Um. Yeah, like, just one other thing on Chase Meridian. One of the thoughts I had watching this was I would love to have them bring back Chase Meridian sometime and also do it in a movie that Harley Quinn is in. I, I was because just going to – yeah, mm. go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, this idea that like there are two figures who are psychoanalyzing Bruce Wayne and the Joker, you know, and just like that could be done in some very, very sexist, misogynistic ways. I want to stay away from that. But just looking at this is like, okay, we're all – so many movies now have talked about like the Batman Joker connection. What if the whole movie is about two people with professional degrees looking at these two lunatics and kind of unpack <laughs> what's going on there? Yeah. yeah, when you were describing Chase and like her, how she was thinking about Bruce Wayne and whatever, I was like, that sounds a lot like Harley Quinn and the Joker. Yeah, mm. that, would, that would be that's a good premise. I like it. There you go. There you and go. they didn't have chemistry, like, they really didn't. Like, Val Kilmer, mm. Val Kilmer just kind of. You could tell he didn't want to really want to be there. Um, I his documentary on Amazon Prime. I highly recommend to everybody Val, and it's like a he he got throat cancer and he can't talk anymore, and it's him breaking down like just so many things and roles of his life. And this he took this role without reading the script because he was researching another role and was in a, a cave with bats when he got the call or something, and he's like, "Ooh, a sign," and he just 
signed on to it without reading the script. Oh, no. And then, like, like, you are watching a movie with a star that clearly wishes he was somewhere else. Uh, he yeah. couldn't hear. He was deaf in the costume. And he is a facial actor. Like, he's a stage performer. So right. taking that away from him took so much away that, that when he's being Bruce Wayne, he's just got these, like, far-off stares, which I guess if you look at it in a mental health way, like, I don't, I don't know what he was trying to do. It didn't work, but yeah. yeah, I don't know. You should always read the script. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of acting performances that don't really work, uh, let's talk about the villains in this movie because I, <laughs> I think that everything we just said about the Joker and how the Joker has this internal like logic to him. Edward Nigma, the Riddler in this, is I is I think my least favorite character in any Batman movie ever. Like I just think it is so. <laughs> a, 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 I'll admit I don't really love Jim Carrey's humor. I thought Jim Carrey was very funny for ninety seconds at a time on Living Color, the kind of sketch comedy mm-hmm. show he got his start on. But I've never enjoyed him in a full movie. And in this, I just I find him deeply unpleasant to have on screen. And he takes the Riddler, who should be such an interesting character. And this is more the writers, not Jim Carrey himself, but I'll blame Jim Carrey for everything. <laughs> um, he, he just the, – the character makes absolutely no sense. The plot makes no sense. His motivations make no sense. The crazy things he does make no sense. I I have so much hate for Edward Nigma and, and, and the Riddler in this. <laughs> What, what 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 are your all takes on him? In the beginning, when he like pitches his plan to Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne is like, "Okay, man, let's set up a meeting. I want to hear more about it." And immediately he's like, "Oh, that's not going to work for me. You need to say yes right now." And right there, you're like, "Oh no, <laughs> you know why? Mm-hmm. This is where we're just going to stop making any kind of sense with this right. character. He's just, you know, su- he's crazy for no reason. The opposite kind of that we were talking about with the Joker for sure." And then you get what's his face? It's just like two over the top um, villains who are like in this mortal struggle to see who can overact more obnoxiously. Like that's just what it felt like. They were both ridiculous. I liked Jim Carrey in it just because I do like him and I thought he was making me laugh throughout it, which was helpful to be laughing mm-hmm. with the movie, not at the movie. I don't know whether, uh, you know, that's what was <laughs> supposed to be happening, but. His costumes were so fun. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. To say. I can't be nice. I'm trying to think of good uh-huh. things to say. <laughs> I, I actually, when I heard Jim Carrey was cast as the Riddler, I actually thought it was potentially like really interesting. Like it sounded like it could have been kind of an inspired bit of casting, but um, yeah, it, it it. I don't know. It's weird because I feel like. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer and Danny DeVito were also two really over-the-top villains kind of, you know, chewing on each other's furniture. Wait, that's not how it goes. Um, <laughs> in, in Batman Penguin Ret- tried to chew on her furniture. Exactly. But yeah. <laughs> in, in Batman Returns, and, like, somehow it just worked better there. I don't know. It. I feel like the Riddler is one of the worst-used Batman villains who's potentially... Like the most interesting, you know. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I also think if you put Riddler and Joker in a story together and made it like you could really have them play off each other in a really, really interesting way, I think. But I, I feel like I've never really seen that particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, 
Yeah. I think Riddler should be something fundamentally distinct from Joker. Yeah. But so often he's sort of like diet Joker. <laughs> and I think that's kind of what's happening here. And it just doesn't oh, work. The role was written for Robin Williams. Um, and it was actually supposed to be played up a little uh, little bit more gay. And hmm. uh, Jim Carrey didn't want to do that. or I, I don't re- remember, but I know that they the, the new vision of the character was a little bit more... Um, straight mm-hmm. and we're going to make him more crazy but Robin Williams didn't want to do it because he they pretended to want him to be the Joker just to get Jack Nicholson like they were asking Jack Nicholson and then they're like well we're going to ask Robin Williams and started this whole thing because they knew Jack Nicholson would be like no I want to do it then so he felt right. slighted so they did this whole thing for him and right before they were about to start he was like nah oh god it's so ridiculous wow. yeah um, I, I, I was going to say I mean, just in terms of like whether uh, Carrie wanted to play out the gayness of the character or not, um, his costume looked very good. It was very, very tight. Yeah. And there was a lot of crotch focus <laughs> shots. And to he just you kept just doing it. Just how tight it was. He just kept doing it. Yeah. It's just, uh, he was just, it, I, I don't even feel like he acted through the movie. I'm not even sure if he had lines. It was probably just ad-libbed and it was just like a rubberized gag machine the whole time. Everything that came out of his mouth was ridiculous. And like spank yeah. me and joygasm. Like, come on, man. What, what are we doing and, here? And that's the thing, because to me, the Riddler should be one of the most intelligent Batman villains. Right. He should be the one who most brings out the Batman, I mean, it's literally Batman the detective, because it should be the Batman is the only one who can solve his riddles. Mm-hmm. And there was just none of, like, all of his riddles were incredibly easy and just, like, kind of a bad joke, you know? Yeah. I will say the original, you know, this Batman 66 series, like, the riddles weren't exactly, you know, they were things that, like, you, I don't know, they, they weren't, like, these very clever puzzles, for the most part, right. in, in my memory. Anyway, it's, it's right. been a while. At least he was really I mean, good at twirling a cane. That's an important yeah. skill there for, for that. this Riddler, I think. <laughs> and it is like, I mean, it is hard for a writer to write someone who's much more intelligent than they. And that, not that I'm saying that writers are dumb, but yeah. I think like I'm not like I don't think I could write a character like the Riddler because I don't personally have the ability to come up with these like in, incredibly intense puzzles, that kind of thing. Yeah, the only yeah. thing is like you you have like a year or years to try and come up with something really right? clever that the character might come up with really quickly so it's like you have the benefit of time but that's that's something that's always difficult is like you it's hard to write characters who are who can you can't write characters who can think of things you can't think of unless you have like uh, a brain trust who can kind of right you know. speaking of the script and writing michael keaton was asked to return Mm-hmm. As Batman, um, and offered fifteen million dollars, but then he read the script, and that's yeah. why he turned it down. It's like absolutely <laughs> so, not, you know, not a <laughs> not a ringing right. endorsement. Oh, Tommy Lee Jones had just won an Oscar for The Fugitive. Yeah, and what the hell? I mean, we just talked about the Harvey Dent Two Face that was so good in um, Dark Knight. Dark Knight. Tommy Jones, like he's not sort of the main villain, and I don't focus on him as much as the Riddler because. I, he's just so easy to ignore. Like literally, when I saw Harvey Dent, I was like, "Oh wow, um, this is—it's so great that we finally have a you know, uh, Two Face on screen." And someone had to remind me, like, "But Tommy Lee Jones just did it. Like, <laughs> not just did it, but like, I, I, his character it. also." Yeah. He makes no sense whatsoever. He's just madness mm-hmm. to be madness. They just turned him into a cackling lunatic. It was like, it's like he went and watched Jack Nicholson in Batman and was like, I'm going to do all of this, but I'm going to try to do it more 
but I don't have the acting. Like, he's a great actor, but not, I, not, I've never seen him be like super, super crazy like he was trying to do here. Uh, and it didn't work. Like, he just has all that crazy laughing, which is really what he, he leaned into. Um, yeah, Tommy Lee Jones' strength as an actor is like having this like weightiness, right? And intense. Yeah. 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 And um, Nick, like in some ways, go ahead. Well, just like Nicholson has this like, he feels a little bit like in every role, you don't know exactly what he's going to do. Yeah. You right. know, so I think he's a very natural fit for the Joker, whereas Tommy Lee Jones yeah. for kind of trying to do that thing, it, it, it just doesn't feel like a good fit. Mm-mm. Like in some ways, Tommy Lee Jones playing more of the Christopher Nolan version of Dent Two Face. Oh, I can I see that. Oh, that would have been better. great. Yeah. Well, what was Schumacher's you know? other movie with him? Was the Client, and he was the the lawyer in that one. That movie was fantastic. I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. Um, but yeah, he was really just there to be the forced, randomized, chaotic evil. That's like, oh, I'm doing bad things just to do bad things because the movie needs bad stuff to be done. And his makeup right. was horrible. Like I get that they did it pink to not so that kids could kind of watch it and not have it be gross, but it looked like Play-Doh ugly. <laughs> yeah, his makeup makes no sense. <clears throat> the whole, like, just how far they took all of the, like, two-facedness of him. Even to the point, again, talk about women in these movies. His two girlfriends? <laughs> yeah, who are played by Drew Barrymore and Debbie Mazur. Like, two fantastic actresses. Yeah. And they look great, but their character, there's no characterization. They make, they're just like, here's his angel girl and his goth girl. And then they have... <laughs> Like, if they're just eye candy, that's one thing. But then they actually have real parts, but the parts don't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah. You never see the duality. Like, they're supposed to be his dark side and his light side, just like how he's supposed to be. But you don't see it. You only see crazy guy. He's only given us, you know, his right side or his left side. I don't know. I didn't even know they were in the movie. Like, I've seen (laughs) them, but it's like, they're just, the the movie doesn't, like, draw your attention to them in any way Mm -mm. to the point where, like, I didn't recognize them even. Right. And they, Jim Carrey and um, Tommy Lee Jones, Tommy Lee Jones hated Jim Carrey. They had a lot of problems on set. And you can kind of see it when you watch the movie. He was like, he's like, why do you, he's just, I just hate your buffoonery. To yeah. his face, and he's like, okay. <laughs> and I can see that because, like, maybe he wanted to have a more serious portrayal of this character. Instead, he was basically just supposed to be another buffoon, yeah. just a different yeah. kind, you know? Mm-hmm. So, this movie introduces something that we hadn't talked about much yet, which is obviously a very big part of the Batman story for the most part, which is Robin. Um, 90210, Robin? Yeah, how do y'all feel about uh, Chris O'Donnell? Uh, and also, very, very distinctly adult, like. Yeah. 16 to 19 but like much older than the traditional robin robin i i would say if you're gonna play up the homoeroticism of batman and robin it's a good choice to have at least an older teenage robin (laughs) right like you definitely (laughs) don't want to go for that 12 year old dick grayson uh you know that that wouldn't work very well so in that regard it seems like a good choice yeah that's all i can say I, his origin story checks out, you know. Yeah, the True. origin story made sense. Um, um, but it did. I mean, it's weird because, like, I've I've talked about the homoeroticism of these movies, and I want to be very clear when I say that I don't mean that I I don't think there is an overt flirtation between Batman and Robin in this. Mm-hmm. I, to me, what that 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 term more is is kind of a more generalized, like. You know that like the campiness, queerness of like the nipples on the bat suit. You know, like the the, the close up shots of <laughs> his ass in the bat suit yeah. type things. Like it's more just kind of like 
if you talk about like a male gaze and a female gaze, I think there's a like there can be like a gay gaze to some extent, and mm-hmm. that's more what we're what I mean when I talk about that. And I think, I think you're right to to bring Robin into that, having him be an adult becomes much more important. And and I I mean I lost my mother when I was in my 30s, and it was it was devastating. And so I'm not saying that I think for a 17 year old to lose his parents in front of him wouldn't be devastating, but I found it was harder for me to believe that 17-year-old Robin watching his parents die would have the same kind of effect that 8-year-old Bruce Wayne watching his parents die would have, you know? And so I think that, granted, not that the acting and writing this was going to sell me on anything, (laughs) but I think it was one more way in which I was like, I get why you want adult Robin, but having Robin be that old makes me have trouble seeing the dynamic between the two of them that I would want to see between Batman and Robin. And, I mean, I said he didn't have any chemistry with Nicole Kidman, but Val Kilmer had less with Chris O'Donnell. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, his way of processing his trauma is just to act like a brat. He's like, I'm going to wear an earring, and I'm going to call Alfred Al, and I'm going to steal the Batmobile and blast offspring and, like, throw weird accents at people for no reason. <laughs> yeah, like, it, his behavior, if he's played by a 12-year-old, makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Yeah. I hated that Batmobile too, by the way. Mm-hmm. Ugly. In terms of like people dying at different ages, um, I unfortunately like have a fair amount of experience with this. Having, you know, my, my dad died when I was eight and then two grandparents died when I was a teenager. And then my, my mom's two siblings died when I was like 20 and 21. And obviously there's a difference between like having a parent die and having, you know, other family die who you you know didn't grow up with didn't live with but um i mean definitely from personal experience it just sort of perspective on death and loss and what it means like definitely felt different at different ages mm-hmm, you know yeah. and and i mean I, I have friends who who lost parents at, as teenagers also and it you know it's not like it's not tragic in the city it's just it it can be very different i think and so if there's more of a similarity between you know kind of dick's story and bruce's story i think there's an extent to which that that makes sense in in sort of how it can play but um Mm -hmm. also there's some other stories where you kind of see the difference between dick and bruce and how they process their parents deaths and um and you know maybe it's one reason that dick grayson doesn't always maybe feel like he has to be Robin or he doesn't have to be Nightwing the way Batman kind of feels as committed to like, no, this is, this is what I do, you know? Right. Yeah. I I do wonder if this was also something that was changed, like that maybe it was written to be a younger Robin Mm. because so, as you were saying, Ash, so much of the stuff you're talking about sounds more like a 13 year old acting out. They had casted Leonardo DiCaprio and then he read the script and was like, pass, pass. (laughs) See, always yeah. read the script. Yeah, because yeah, Leo was like 13 or 14. Yeah, Wait, probably, no, was... Or, no, this was 95. He looks younger, though, I think. Okay, yeah, he, he has a baby Titanic. Face, but I don't think he's that much younger. Mm-mm. Yeah, this was when Titanic came out, so. He would have still but looked younger. Two years before Titanic, right? And this was 95. Mm-hmm. No, I... Because oh, the no, next no, one's right, 97. Right, yeah. Oh, he was, he was yeah. like 20, 21. Okay. Okay. So maybe late sense. teens when when actual filming yeah. would have been done or casting. One thing I thought was interesting, and Grant, I mean, I, I love New York City, so I'm always happy to see references, but it felt very weird how much they pushed 
that this version of Gotham is New York City. Mm. Like they literally mm-hmm. had a Statue of Liberty, right. yeah. but with just like Gotham written on it. Oh, stuff like I that. love when they crash that helicopter into the its face. That that was awesome. That was a fun I will scene. give it that part. That was a fun scene. Um. Yeah, anything else about uh, this particular movie before we um, move on? One thing that I absolutely love is when Alfred and Bruce are talking, and he's like, do you want to come this special way? And he's like, no, I'm going to take the stairs, kind of the same way they did in the other Batman. And yet again, somehow Alfred beats Batman down to the Batcave, even though he took the slide and Alfred took the stairs. Like, they did the same thing, I believe, in the first Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think it's funny they keep doing that. Like, there's no way that Alfred would get down there before Batman. I don't know why yeah. it bothers me so much, but it does. He's just highly skilled at, at He's bottling. so fast. Alfred has the oh. best savage moment when he tells Bruce Wayne, he's like, you really are quite bright, despite what most people say about you, sir. I'm like, ooh, yeah. Alfred, savage. <laughs> Two other last things I want to say about this movie quickly. One, uh, this is something Paul pointed out, but that we, I'm now seeing everywhere. Once again, um, Thomas Wayne, Bruce's father, gets to be an important person in the narrative because of the things he said and what Alfred can tell him about what your father would want to, while Martha Wayne is just utterly and completely ignored. Mm. Um, which, given every other female character in this movie, uh, you know, That's... makes kind of sense. Uh, the other thing is that I, <clears throat> and this is kind of coming up more as we talk about it, but I had some feeling of it this way as well. Val Kilmer, to me, Grant, I've not seen all of his stuff, but to me, like, I mean, he will always first and foremost be Iceman from Top, from <laughs> Top Gun. Like, and I think he is an actor who's very good at, this sounds weird, but the idea of, like, playing a character who shows no emotion. Mm-hmm. But to me, what he conveys is that there's a character who has very deep emotion, but the facade he presents is super cool, super restrained, super, I'm never going to let you know exactly what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a fascinating take on Bruce Wayne. Mm. And it kind of makes me feel like I think you could have had a Val Kilmer, Bruce Wayne that would have been very interesting. Mm-hmm. Dye his damn hair black because blonde Bruce Wayne does not work for him. <laughs> right. But but I think it would have been really good. But yeah, that's not what we get here at all. No. And that's that's definitely on the directors and the writers because we know that like I know Val Kilmer can do it. He's uh, he was amazing in Tombstone as Doc Holliday. And then I think the same mm. year that this came out, Heat came out. And it's just uh, it just. Oh, yeah, he's so good in that. Yeah. And they didn't let him be him in this uh they didn't right. let him act they really didn't i mean and he's even been in um he's the uh i forget the name of it but he's he's the main villain in iron man 3 isn't he no that's no guy that's yeah guy pierce okay he looks a lot like yeah. he's jim morrison in the doors best speaking the of best interpretation of jim morrison has, right yeah i mean to so me that's good. kind of what i i picture him as and that's definitely mm. a character or person who had a lot of stuff going on inside, <laughs> but on the outside, That's not Iceman. I think had a very, kind of, you know, stoic facade. He's oh, yeah, always going to be my Mad Mardigan, though. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah I fell in love with him as a very young child. <laughs> <laughs> he had black hair and that looked fabulous. There you go. And there you go. I will say that I, to me, Bruce Wayne's number one, de- you know, um, defining visual trait is that he has dark hair. Like, yeah. I just yeah. can't really see, like, I have, like, dark brown-ish, like, and gray hair. But, like, I would dye my hair black to play Bruce Wayne, you know? Like, yeah. it's, like, yeah. not even just, like, dark brown. Like, it, he's got black hair. That's, you but know. But Christian Bale didn't have black hair, and I thought it worked. He did. 
Didn't no. he? Or like very dark brown. I, I mean, he yeah. has dark hair. I mean, Val Kilmer's blonde in this. Right, yeah, right, they right, shoot yeah. him in ways that you. It's only like a couple shots where the light is well enough that you can see it, but he's, he's mm-hmm. blonde. He does look good in this suit, though, as Batman. I thought this Batman suit was much like I hate the one in Batman and Robin. There's just it's mm-hmm. so blah. There's nothing. It's all black. Um, this one, at least, he looked like like Batman. If only right. he could have heard anything or turned or his neck. Or turned his head. <laughs> That would have been nice. All right. All right. Well, so how about George Clooney as Batman? Let's talk about Batman and Robin. I feel like this isn't going to take very long. Um, <laughs> what a mistake. And I like George Clooney. I don't think George Clooney. I think he was like, I want to be Batman. Just the same way that any actor with the role brought to them. Hey, you want to be Batman? Hot and happening guy. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to be Batman. They didn't take the time to think about if they should. <laughs> He He's, hadn't quite got over his like head bobble thing that he does, and my goodness, does he do it a million times throughout that? I'm like, yeah. what? <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. This movie I actually saw in the theater for two dollars at the like second run theater um, back in the day when you could just go and see every movie after it was out of regular theaters for like two dollars, mm-hmm. and it, it's in the running for me for like worst movie of all time that I've seen, (laughs) you know, but, um, it, it like George Clooney just feels like way too friendly to play Batman, you know, like I think, Hey, Mr. Freeze, I'm Batman. I'm like, what? Yeah. It's like, I always had like a a joke where it's like, you know, Michael Keaton was like, I'm Batman. And like Val Kilmer was like, I'm Batman. And George Clooney was like, Hey, I'm Batman. How you doing? Yeah. What's it going? How's it going? How you doing? <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just, it's, it's, it's just no, <laughs> just no. Yeah. I, I guess to me, yeah. The, it, but like, but in, you in enjoyed the, it. The, Tell us. Yeah, in the question we keep coming back to of like, is this my Batman? No, it's not at all. Like, I think if I view this merit, if I, to me, yeah, let me show that again. I feel like the reason why I can now enjoy this movie is in many ways because of the Lego Batman movie. Mm. Because I feel like this movie is in that same vein of someone trying to make a loving parody of Batman and of the whole Batman ethos. And that maybe to some extent, like it had gotten darker and darker and, and you know, the Burton gothiness and all that, which I love, but he wanted to just have some fun with it. And to me, I would never want George Clooney in a million years, anywhere close to a movie about trying to do a real Batman movie. But as I kind of love him as that. And like the little asides of like, you know, your credit card, never leave the cave without it. Mm-mm. It's so dumb, but so much fun. And just everything about it, like, I don't know. I, I just had a lot of fun with this. Like, Arnold Schwarzenegger chewing scenery right, left, and center uh, with Mr. Freeze. The puns are terrible, but I love bad puns. Um, the Poison Ivy character is horribly written, and mm-hmm. I, I had totally forgotten Bane was even in this. Yeah, right. there's not much Bane. to say about Bane. He's not. He's just a mindless thug who then they call Bane. Um, and Coolio was yeah, in I, it. Coolio was in it. <laughs> Who did Coolio play? He was the leader of the, the the neon bike gang. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. This was even more where I felt like it was the anime Fast and Furious. Um, I don't know. The whole thing it just felt it felt ridiculous and over the top. And once I stopped caring about it, like I I could just really enjoy it. Yeah, I will I mean, say, like once you're gonna make a Batman like this, that's more like Batman sixty six. George Clooney does feel more tonally appropriate than like Val Kilmer. Mm-hmm. You know, for yeah. this kind of level of camp. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. This movie put Batman in Warner Brothers jail for like eight years. They were like, we are 
done with this franchise. Which I, I, okay, I just need, this is an aside, but like the idea of like, we're going to stop making movies about a character for eight years. And that's a long time. We're getting used to this idea now. And I think we're just now in a world where every five years there's going to be a Superman movie. And every five years there's going to be a Spider-Man and every five years there's a Batman. But like, the, that, that breaks my brain to think that like an eight year gap between making a new version of the same character is like (laughs) jail, but you're right. It was definitely like, we're done with this for a while until Nolan came along. And I think, I think it's not coincidence that this was the movie that went so over the top into this has nothing to do with reality that it probably took Christopher Nolan being like, okay, okay, what what if I just tell you a real story about a real guy who dresses like a bat, but it's basically a story in real life to get Warner Brothers to be like, okay, let's do this again. And I I think trying to get the aesthetic of the 60s um, almost kind of did this movie in a little bit too much because some of the things that they do, you know, don't quite fly today, especially all of the Poison Ivy stuff, not to mention them auctioning off women at the Rainforest Cafe event or wherever they were doing. Like, it was very strange. And then to have Batman... And Robin, like, try to, like, spend more money to spend the night with Poison Ivy in front of everybody. Like, I'm like, what is happening? And when then there's, there's your infamous bat card scene. And I'm like, because you just picture the call like, hi, this is uh, your credit card company fraud department. Um, Did you just spend $7 million to spend the evening with a uh, pink ape? Oh, okay. Just just checking. Thank you, Mr. Wayne. Like, what the? <laughs> and whose bank account does the bat card go to if nobody knows he's Bruce Wayne? I have just so many questions. Right, right, right. That doesn't. Maybe it's maybe it's filtered through a uh, hundred shell corporations or something, and that's yeah. that's the point of the bat card. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> people, I mean, people, Fox will say it's all very complicated. It's all yeah. very complicated. <laughs> right. People would like talk about this movie in retrospect as the movie that kind of like did not just Batman in for a while, but like superhero movies in general. Yeah. But, but like. It was only three years later that that X-Men came out and kind of, quote unquote, revived, you know, the the genre. But like Mm -hmm. before that, even like Blade came out in 98, which is interesting. Like that's like a hard right turn, you know, in terms of like type of superhero content. If you didn't know Blade, you wouldn't know that that wasn't anything other than a vampire movie. You know, like a fun action vampire movie. Yeah, like I wouldn't think of, to me, Blade is more of the like, you know, va- yeah, vampire. It's a comic like, book movie rather them, than a superhero movie, right? It got them the money to be able to do X Men, mm. and because it was a Marvel thing, and right, they got right. a lot of the money, which is why. They, and I love Blade. That movie's great. Yeah, yeah. The sequels, yeah, for sure. uh, but uh, that one, <laughs> that one. Um, can we talk about the speaking of infamy, like the bat nipples and the bat butts, just on full display <laughs> in the beginning, like in the beginning moments, no less. Like less talked about is the decision to zoom in on like the cod pieces you know like top gun made us wait at least 40 minutes for their volleyball scene but batman and robin they just <laughs> blah, throw it right in your face immediately take it take it take it yeah. ah i loved it but why doesn't batgirl suits have nipples you know i mean it's a fair point it's a fair point um yeah i think we all know why but yeah because yeah, joel you know? was like i don't care absolutely not but not even just that i mean just broader like societally how come you can show topless men but not topless women like yeah m- right. a lot of places right uh <sighs> and, and we we do though get the um uh the, at least we get the super shot of batgirl's butt just as much as everyone else's butt. yeah thank but, goodness you know, even it out little, 
Um, but yeah, no, I mean, watching these movies with Mary, Mary, Mary commented like this clearly is written. Uh, this is a movie ri- clearly written by someone who spends very little of their time with women. Yes. <laughs> Which I thought, yes. you know, and, and like there's a whole very complex issue to get into there about like misogyny within gay male culture and things like that. And mm-hmm. that, that is way beyond the scope of this podcast. Yeah, that, that wouldn't be appropriate that, for superhero ethics. <laughs> well, but I, but I just want to say like, and I, I don't know anything about Joel Schumacher himself, but I feel like they're. I think that applying that lens to some parts of this movie is is Poison Ivy to me comes off as a drag queen mm. much more than she does in, in terms of like that mm-hmm. like the the kind of like that vision of femininity as so over the top and it being such a weapon against men and things like that it just was very like and like I mean Uma Thurman's doing her best and like I know uh, I didn't hate looked, her in it she looked beautiful she looked damn good and I. You know, I mean, again, it's another kind of like righteous woman scorned wants to get get even. And it, it's funny because she's presented as this eco terrorist, which is, of course, like so over the top, you know, and there's a scene mm-hmm. with her and Bruce Wayne talking where like she's like Bruce Wayne's like, well, but this would do like terrible damage. You know, people lose it. He's talking to people losing their lives, which that's fair. But like the response he gives is meant to be at the time this movie is made seen as so responsible and, and like <laughs> sensible today i watch it I'm like oh yeah a billionaire doesn't want to listen to environmental concerns like, <laughs> right, right. Like, you could right. totally be like okay so this is a deeper story about morally complex ch- climate change allegory in which two scientists are t- attempting to save the planet you know from relentlessly destructive right? capitalism or like billionaire psychopaths like bruce wayne like you can look at a totally deeper side that they didn't you know, if this movie came out now and they made it serious, it would just be an algorithm for, for climate change. And I think it would be great. I mean, just think about in the Harley Quinn TV show where Poison Ivy is straight up like a hero, an antihero. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. she does terrible things. But, like, you know, she kills billionaires because they're bad about the environment. And everyone's like, sure. Yeah, I got no objection here. Like, yeah. Go on with your bad self. Like, I'd watch well, a, our- a Poison Ivy show. <laughs> but yeah. they're like the two of them. And they're like, oh, we're going to terraform Gotham. Like, what do you mean? How are your plants going to survive in the ice, honey? What are you talking about? <laughs> right. Yeah, there's, there's nothing about it that makes any sense. No. Um, and I could just go on and on about the like what they did with, with poor Poison Ivy. You know, it's mm-hmm. just, um, aside from, like, auctioning herself up at the auction, um, I'm trying to think what a... Uh... Oh, the fact that she inexplainably becomes romantically obsessed with Mr. Freeze, like, after she finds out their goals are compatible... And then becomes so mad when she finds out he has a wife. Yeah, and right. he's and given a redemption arc where nothing happens with her. She's literally just there to get beat up by Batgirl, who doesn't need to right. be in the movie either. <laughs> yeah, this this is the era when you were starting to have a lot more um, like superheroines, which is great. But there always had to be... It was always that the hero had a woman sidekick... And the villain had to have a woman's sidekick so that the two of them could fight. Right. Mm-hmm. Because our hero could never hit a woman. Yep, in their high um, heels. Ha! Yeah. Ha! Oh, God. Batgirl's high heel. Like, oh Alfred, my God. come on. Give her something better than that. <laughs> She's Batgirl for 15 minutes, and she already has a car, all the toys, her own symbol, and outfits. Like, what? <laughs> I remember watching it because there's there's a race scene where she, like, is trying to prove herself as, as a badass racer. And I was like, right. oh, okay. So maybe she's not just going to be... A damsel in distress. Maybe she's gonna. And the fact that Chris O'Donnell's Robin has to rescue her. And of save course. Her, I was so annoyed. Yeah. At that. There's so much uh, of that. Like Ivy is only empowered in the first place after her male colleague, you know, steals her work and then tries to kill her. Like it's all just, just you know, 
these women getting led around by these guys. At least right. Ivy did something like she murders Mr. Freeze's wife or doesn't because Batman stops it. And, you know, there, there goes her arc any, you know, or any mm -hmm. redemption because she's just pure evil for the sake of moving the plot along. Um, but that's like the only thing she kind of does like on her own. Yeah. I feel like she should get uh, Mr. Freeze to like reverse, you know, global warming. Right. Yeah, that seems yeah, like right. there's a that plot there, a you know, <clears throat> that could be a thing. One thing I think the movie, an interesting idea of the Batman story that the movie addressed, even though I don't think it did a very good job of it, uh, and I'm curious if you all know of any other place where this is addressed, is the idea of Alfred's mortality. And, like, what is Bruce going to do when, you know, Alfred passes away? Because mm -hmm. he is quite older. Um, and they handle it in such a dumb way. But, like, I, I, I'm trying to think, Paul, is that one that you've, that you've seen ever explored in any of the kind of, like, off uh, Batman animated stuff? Um, not much that I can think of. I mean, in, in Batman Beyond, Alfred has died sometime previously, right. but we don't, and I think that's we just We never see screen. him, like, Bruce deal with that or yeah. anything. Yeah, I mean, right. we, we see Alfred's life threatened in some situations, right? Like, he gets kidnapped right. and stuff, and, um, but I, I can't remember him, like, actually dying in anything besides, besides this. Right. Hmm. He doesn't die, right? He doesn't die. No, he doesn't. But his morality, his mortality is a, is a like Bruce has to face the possibility yeah. of him dying. Oh, and I do think that's oh. no, because remember, oh, Doctor Doctor Strange, Mister Freeze, uh, it, he gets the same disease that his wife had, oh, and he has okay. the one little vial, and that at the end is when he's like, oh my, you know, oh I'm gonna not be such a bad guy anymore, and I'm gonna help you save Alfred, and right. blah blah blah. Uh. Um, but I think the only good part of this film is highlighting the relationship between Alfred and Bruce, getting to see the conversations they had as a kid, the yeah. love that they have between them. I think that is a shining, you know, part. Definitely. These goddamn kids. <laughs> and, and also exploring the idea from Alfred's perspective of like that, that he doesn't want Bruce to know that he's sick, you know, yeah. and that the, kind of the toxicity mm. of that. But toxicity is the wrong, but just like the unhealthiness. Just like, you know, that there's a sadness there that Alfred feels like he's not even supposed to say that he's sick or get the treatment he needs until first his niece um, and, and Barbara Gordon and the, or I guess not Barbara Gordon, Barbara, whatever. And then, <laughs> and then Bruce himself are all like, no, no, you got it. You got to take care of yourself. Yeah. And she but, shows up not to nurse him, but to free him from his life of servitude. Like, what was that all about? <laughs> yeah, it, it felt another sort of like. In the same kind of like Bruce is being like, no, corporate America is fine about the environment. What are you doing? Like, yeah, like <laughs> I think you could tell an interesting story of like from Alfred's perspective, like is there something a little problematic about making the employee basically like the parent figure for this entire person? And he never gets to have a life of his own. And what's up with that? Like, I don't think it has to be that. Like, I think it would be in the same way people can be like, oh, Bruce Wayne is terrible because he's just like doing all these things. To say, oh, Bruce Wayne is terrible because he's abusing his employee, like, I think there's a legitimate possibility of the relationship between them being a healthy and good one. But I think there could be some Batman story that does explore, like, how does Alfred feel about the fact that he, like, what was his job got turned into his family parental relationship? But, like, is there some problems there and stuff mm -hmm. like that? Yeah, I kind of, like, don't want there to be, but I want there to be a, like, I, I don't want to watch that story. I think that could be an interesting right. story. But... I want to watch a story that addresses that and shows the motivation being something other than like, you know, wage slavery, basically. Right. right. Like, yeah. I want there to be a, a personal motivation. And I think shows like Gotham 
um, and Pennyworth actually, which maybe we'll discuss at some point, kind of go into that to, to some extent, you know, and, yeah. and I feel like the Michael Caine Alfred really um, feels like, you know, like there's there's this deep love there for the family and, and for Bruce and that it's, you know, not necessarily like he's just doing it like for the money. Like it feels like there's yeah. some some sort of like some deeper motivation there beyond that. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, something where you see him affirmatively choosing yeah. to, to be this parental, be, basically become part of the family right. in some way. Because um, there's some version of the story, maybe, I, actually I think it is in Gotham, where, yeah, like Bruce tries to fire him, and it kind of brings up this idea of, like, is he a parent? Yeah, it actually is in Gotham, where it brings up the tension of he's a parental figure, but he's also this kid's employee. Right. And, like, how do you deal with that? Yeah. Um, I probably wouldn't describe him exactly as a parental figure, but it, I don't think you're wrong. It just, Mm -hmm. um, that's a whole conversation. Maybe we'll get into that in in another episode. Yeah, that'd be a fun (laughs) one to do just about Alfred specifically. I I, I will say also that I'm glad this doesn't become a trope because it's the kind of thing that if I saw a million times, I'd hate. But like Paul, you and I have talked about how with animation especially, you can now have a lot of different Batman stories out there. None of them have to be the official one. I would like to see at least one in which Alfred dies. Mm. Not like traumatically or something, but we're just, you know, you, you get to a stage of Batman's development, Bruce's development, where Alfred or just retires or whatever, mm. but just where Bruce has to shift into because there's, so, there's only an extent to which Alfred is still kind of the one who's being like, well, but remember, you got to do this. Remember, you got to right, do that. Right. That there being a point where he no longer he has to be Batman without Alfred anymore. Yeah, I mean, for me, Batman Beyond kind of fills that um, that sort yeah. of, vo- you know, that that role or whatever um oddly like batman beyond maybe these movies like i really didn't like the idea of batman and robin and family and whatever like it felt like something that for a long time i just didn't really like batman having like i wanted a loner batman right the first two Mm -hmm. batman movies was a loner batman you know the the dark knight trilogy loner batman watching the series batman beyond actually really was the first time that it was like oh I actually really appreciate those other relationships a lot more. And mm-hmm. I don't know if these movies really did them in a way that um, I would be interested to rewatch them, but I just, I just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't bring myself. <laughs> yeah. just couldn't do it. There's just something not, it's just so not Batman about it. You know, he's too yeah. angst free. He's kind of smirking all the time. Um, you know, they're big at like, Chris O'Donnell or, or Robin's biggest character arc was like, oh, okay, so maybe Poison Ivy doesn't love me and we can work together. Like them fighting. I know it was like the pheromones and stuff, but them right. fighting over her and that being the main like focus of his angst, even though it's, you know, mm-hmm. shadowed with, oh, I just want to be my own person. But you haven't proven to anybody that you can stand on your own two feet. You know, yeah, yeah. what have you shown us to make us be on your side as the audience? Yeah. Uh, one quick backup thing I want to say and then go to what you were just saying Ashley um, I agree with you Paul that Batman Beyond is sort of Batman without Alfred I, I'm saying I want to see the transition right, I want yeah, to see where he yeah. becomes that um, but no I also think you're right Ashley that um, and I guess it's kind of where I'm, I'm I think where I'm coming from this movie is I feel like if this is my only Batman I'm going to hate it with a passion of a thousand songs right because like, it's not that in a world where I now have all of my Batmans and I know there's going to be more Batmans Kind of like what you were saying about the animated stuff, I feel much better about mm-hmm. it because I don't mm-hmm. feel like this is my Batman. It's just, it's a fun parody of it. And to yeah. me, that's, but also like, 
I probably watch Batman Begins in the Dark Knight at least once a year. And I watch the Keaton Batmans probably every two or three years. Mm-hmm. If I watch this movie once every 10 years, I'll be happy. Right, right, you right. Know? Yeah. Like, but is it kind of like, I, I'm happy. I'm telling with- you, Riff Tracks, it'll change, it'll change <laughs> how many times you watch this movie a year because the Batman and Robin one is the funniest one I have ever heard. Oh, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. For those who don't know, that's the Mystery Science Theater 3000 people, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It, it's the same idea, just now in a kind of different way. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Anything else to say about uh, Mr. Schumacher's take on Batman? I, I think we can pretty universally say this is not our Batman, not our Gotham, no. not, our, not our Robin. No. Even trying to be like, oh, you could see, um, you could put a positive twist on Robin's struggle to resist uh Poison Ivy's Feminine Wiles opens a door for a discussion of like sexual temptation and pride, but then they just don't go there. They just have, yeah. they, it's so many, it, it, this movie was born to sell toys and it's really a shame. <laughs> like, yeah. ugh. it was just, uh, it was incoherent. That's all. That's all I'm going to say. It was a piss poor understanding of what makes Batman, Batman. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree with all that. I feel like it doesn't bother me that these movies exist. You know, mm-hmm. but like, um, I do think it's good that there was the animated series going around the same time, you know, that's yeah. like, you know, on one level, like if you just watch movies, it's like, well, if this was the only Batman you had at the time and you'd seen the first two, um, then it's, it was disappointing. Right. But, you know, I think some people started watching the animated stuff more then, which I think is its own good thing. And then. Now, you know, decades later, literally 25, you know, 25 movies, almost 25 movies, but like 25 years after, you know, um, Batman and Robin came out. It's like there are so many different Batman takes that it's like, you know, I think there's some value in them being somewhat different from one another, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm I'm happy that there's people who like these and, and that Matthew, you know, you get some joy out of watching Batman and Robin maybe once a decade or whatever. But like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I probably won't watch them again, you know, but like, it's That's fine. Fair. It's like different That's things fair. for different people. And, um, you know, I've got some Batmans that I think are fantastic and some of my favorite things to watch. Yeah. So uh, if these are those for some other people, cool, you know. And I'll also say, yeah. especially with Mr. Freeze, because I really like Schwarzenegger's take on it of just the ridiculous, <laughs> over-the-top, just... bad puns all the time. The puninator. Yeah. I, I Part of it, though, is probably also, Paul, what you're saying, like, I wasn't watching Batman the Animated Series at the time. Mm-hmm. And Batman the Animated Series had just introduced Mr. Freeze. They'd come up with this whole much more kind of, like, you know, anti-hero, villain, romantic, you know, uh origin story for him is the guy whose wife was dying and was doing anything mm-hmm. he could to save his dying wife and it's just like the the, the the character in the animated series is beautiful and and heartrending and I feel like if, if you went into it wanting any of that and then seeing this Oof. like yeah I'd want to burn the house down too <laughs> um, he's like he spends so much time on his subplot plan to freeze Gotham like if you just put all that energy into finding a cure, you might be able to save your wife. Why don't right? you try that instead of diamonds or whatever the hell you're doing? Yeah. Because that was a lot of effort when you, you're you a doc. Just, you know, take that energy and focus it this way. But diamonds are called ice. I mean, you just couldn't pass up the pun uh, opportunities. There you go. There you go. Oh, God. Bane, who cares? Batgirl. <laughs> she was there. Yeah. Batgirl, there's a lot of potential for. Totally lost. Bane, completely awful. 
Um, I think that's about all we can say about Mr. Schumacher and uh, these movies. Uh, all right, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's wrap this up. Uh, Paul, you've been making some videos again. Tell to us about uh, Zen Madman. Yeah, I've been making a lot of poker videos on YouTube, Zen Madman Poker. Um, and uh, today the theme was not reading the script, so that felt appropriate. Um, <laughs> well, this one's called something like How to Lose Every Hand. Um, and then I, I maybe I'm going to do a fiction, fo- fiction podcast. Oh, my goodness. It's Batwoman and Catman all over again. Uh, what's uh, a fiction podcast? A fiction podcast um, <laughs> where I, I peed my fiction. No. Um, where... <laughs> Yeah, I don't watch uh, my website like has show. some stuff on it now, zenmadman.com. Look at it if you feel like it. It'll probably have some more other stuff soon. Uh, yeah, it just, awesome. it just took some years to, you know, start doing stuff again. Awesome. You did it. Um, and Ashley, can I ask about your, we can cut this out, but can, can I ask about your uh, little work at the interplays of gothiness, campiness, and sexuality? Sure. Cause, uh, yeah, what have you been doing on TikTok? Oh, no. Um, so I've been doing a um, voice work for a character on TikTok for a um, a creator, a writer. Um, and he just, you know, he writes the story, he does the animation, and I just do the voice. And it's kind of taken off. Uh, we did it the first time. Uh, things kind of got, you know, something happened. And then we had to start all over again. And now we're bigger than we were then. It's like 80,000 followers. Um, I don't even know what it's. Let me look it up. I don't know what it's called. That's. I'm an. I'm. An You're just artist. there for the paycheck. Yeah, I mean. It, but yeah, I mean, you understand why the Schumacher movie is for the time I had to bring this up. Hundred percent. It's very like an interesting kind of like goth anime style that is kind of hilarious. I can totally tell why lots of people are very into it because your voice acting is fantastic. Oh, thank you. It is um, almost a real, oh, almost a princess for real on tiktok but the four is an actual four and we'll have a link to that as well as a link to all the stuff paul's doing in the show notes as for myself um i'm back i went on vacation for a week and also work got crazy for a week before then so the uh publishing schedule got a little wonky but we are back a lot of great things we're doing we will be doing batman begins as soon as that movie becomes available to watch for everybody Uh, sorry not batman i was like what (laughs) we'll be doing as someone described it the way your grandmother described it oh you know have you seen that movie the batman (laughs) batman regens wait re-begins exactly (laughs) um uh with the kenobi show coming out pretty soon and may 25th over on the star wars universe podcast we're doing a lot to get ready for that continuing our, our push through the uh rebels tv show uh we're uh, Matt Carroll, the famous Star Trek, not Star Wars fan, has finally consented to kind of give some Star Wars stuff a try. So he's been watching some of the animated stuff. Uh, myself and him just did an episode about uh, uh, sort of, you know, what his understanding of the Kenobi character was in the beginning of the Clone Wars uh, show. And he and I and possibly with Paul or Ashley will be going through, you know, getting going over some ideas of Kenobi as we get closer and closer to that show coming out. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, here on Superhero Ethics, we'll definitely be talking about Moon Knight when it comes out. Uh, a lot of other great plans. Mostly, though, you can find all this stuff. Most important, you can find a way to talk to us about it by going to theethicalpanda.com. Uh, there you'll find all the podcasts I do. You'll also find all of our contact information. I'd love to know what you all think. Tell us what you think about Schumacher and, and the different perspectives. Uh, do you love him? Do you hate him? Is there anyone else out there who's like me who's like, you know, it's not my Batman, but Batman and Robin's a fun parody. 
Would love to hear your thoughts. Tell me how wrong you are. Ashley and Paul are... Paul's laughing. Ashley's shaking her head no. <laughs> I might be on an island here, but there's got to be some folks out there who enjoy it as well. So let us know what you think. Let us know what you're excited for. Give us your thoughts. Uh, all that, all that, like I said, can be found at theethicalpanda.com. Most importantly, though, thank you all so much for being listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for sharing this with people. Thank you so much for commenting on the social media. All the things you do. Thank you so much, and have a great day. Joygasm. <laughs> You're welcome, and thank you.